Greetings to all the citizens of the world, and welcome to Citizen 44. I am Citizen 44. Hey everybody, Mark Ehrensberg here. Welcome to my podcast, Citizen 44. This is my first show, so I'm very excited. And this is a long time coming. I've been thinking about this for about a year. And uh, I guess I just needed to do it. And I've been accused of saying I'm going to do things and not doing them. And that's because I open my big mouth and say that I'm going to do them, when in fact I should just not say things and just do them. And then everybody will be surprised that I've done something. I'm doing it. And I'm doing it for me and I'm doing it for you. I've been privy to uh, a lot of really good information through uh, reading over the past five years. And uh, I feel uh, healed by a lot of this information that I've received. And uh, uh, leading a life that is uh, more content, less stressful. Uh, certainly uh, not experiencing as much suffering and pain as I have in the past. Of course, that's self-imposed. Uh, based on my lack of knowing what to do with my pain and suffering. But I feel good about uh, now a plethora of uh, ways that I can ease my pain and suffering, and and, and the goal is to help you do the same thing. Most of uh, the difficulties that we face are self-imposed, and if we actually were taught uh, how to be uh, a human being and uh, leverage the tools that we possess then we would be a lot better off. And let me preface uh, all this with uh, stating, of course, that I'm a total idiot, and I do stupid things all the time. The question is, how long does it take for me to either recognize it and or preemptively stop it? And we're all idiots based on a matter of degrees. We're all in this uh, and we just need to be cooperative in our, you know, preparing the meal together, cooking together, you know, having a, a, a good recipe together, to do things together. Because it's a lot easier to do it together, frankly, than to try and do it by yourself. And if there's more of us doing it together, there's less that we have to think about doing. And we're just doing it. And so I'm doing my part with uh, immense gratitude for what I've discovered and uh, feel that it is my duty as citizen 44 of the planet Earth to uh, impart this information onto you, my, my brothers and sisters, my friends, my people, my, my fellow citizens. My first interview, uh, my first conversation, if you will, is with documentary filmmaker and dear friend Suzanne Barraza, a fantastic uh, documentary called Bagot, which I implore you to watch. Uh, this is a, a very entertaining and poignant look at um, the world's use of plastic and how we are irresponsibly using permanent materials for temporary use. And it's, uh, it's deplorable and it's uh, inexcusable and it's totally avoidable and maybe one of the largest contributors to our future demise is, uh, is this filling of the ocean with garbage. There's a flotilla, as Suzanne said, the size of Texas in the middle of the ocean. And uh, this is something we've created, and it's uh, something we can uncreate. It's just a matter of, like, getting to it. Uh, but when I was coming out of the, the laundromat today, I was in my taxi. Uh, I, I, do, I, I drive a taxi in Ashland, Oregon, uh, uh, from 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., five days a week. I love my job, the mix of uh, incredible personal connection with people who get in the cab. And uh, I love to drive. Anyway, I was pulling out of the parking lot and a coffee cup with a lid was right in front of me on the ground, rolling around. And I managed to flatten it with the car. Now, I didn't get out and pick it up, and I should have. And this is part of the whole think again principle is I should have stopped the car and picked it up. But generally speaking, after, after seeing Bagot, uh, Suzanne's movie, between that and the shopping bags and, and the things... I'm still, you know, I'm not doing it as well as I could. Uh, let's face it. Um, and I, I, I'm striving to do better and be aware and conscious of my behavior and how that affects uh, the rest of the world, uh, which is, again, uh, that is the lesson in itself, is how aware are we? How 
conscious are we of what we are thinking, speaking, doing, all these things that we just kind of roll through life without a lot of consideration and contemplation. So my job, as, as it were here, is to kind of bring these things up, uh, uh, challenge both myself and the listening audience to consider, to think, to contemplate uh, what it is that uh, we're all thinking, saying, and doing. And I know that's all very serious business, but you know what? This is serious business, and I will be using some colorful language, and uh, I'm going to enjoy myself speaking uh, to you and speaking to others as I will be conducting, uh, not interviews per se, they're just kind of casual conversations, and uh, just getting to know people. And there'll be locals here in Ashland, Oregon. Um, We have a a pretty fantastically diverse community, highly intellectual, very aware for the most part, a conscious community, very fortunate in the fact that we kind of live in this bubble here where we can be a vegan if we want to. Uh, There's the the food situation here is incredibly off the charts uh, as far as availability. I mean, yes, there, there is a Wendy's in town and a Taco Bell, but there was a McDonald's here in town 10 years ago, and they left. And that's almost unheard of for a franchise of that magnitude to have to leave because of a lack of support, which I applaud. I think it, it was, it's fantastic. It, it, it actually it, it says a lot about this community. So anyway... Uh, I'm really glad to be here, and again, my, my, my first conversation here is going to be with documentary filmmaker Suzanne Barraza, and uh, uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming, because this is going to be a kick-ass good time. I am Mark Ahrensberg, Citizen 44. Oh my gosh. Yep, it's really happening. Technology. This is the first one, by the way. Wow. Did I tell you that? You're the first one? I feel honored. I feel scared. No, I don't really feel scared. You're my friend, and this is easy. We're just chatting. Yeah. So you you actually, let me just let people know, Suzanne Barraza, and now Suzanne Barraza Fergus. Well. Is that true? Well, I'm, yeah, I'm married, but I'm not going to be doing that male take on the last name thing okay <laughs> but you know sign things the ferguses and you know and to his folks i'm like oh yeah susan fergus you know but no well there's a couple of reasons one i think it's a really weird tradition it's pretty weird yeah my last name is really unique and i'm of course unique is an overused word but there aren't that many barazas in the world and i know most of them and it's kind of a name i want to hang on to and also just in my professional world it's kind of you know there's not used that many for barazas? a while. No, there aren't that many. Well, I looked up and some girl cyclist came up, but she's not. She doesn't spell her name the same way as you do. Okay. And she's Susan. Okay. And actually, you didn't come up right away, and I had to do it. Wow. Well, you didn't come up because I wasn't spelling your last name correctly. Okay. That really okay. is helpful for Google to like. It couldn't fill in the blank. Actually, I was shocked. It's like wow. really. You just came up with this really cute girl on a bicycle. You couldn't. <laughs> Maybe come. it was me. It wasn't you. Dang I mean, it. you're a really cute girl, but it was not you. <laughs> Because I cycle. Well, all they had to do was add another R, and I think I put B-A-R instead of B-E-R. Uh, uh, so. uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's that's a different spelling of the Basque name, B-A-R-R-A-Z-A, mm, and, and I'm B-E-R-A-Z-A. Yep. So you're Basque. Uh, my dad is Basque, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what that means. Spanish Basque. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you weren't Pyrenees, born in Spain. N- no, I was born in Jamaica, but yeah. my dad was born in Spain. Yep. His heritage is Basque. Hence my, uh, he says there are certain physical traits that come with it, or some aren't. Or there's, um, there's, of course, the ears, the what nose. Are, what are the ears? I don't know. They're supposed to be large. Let me I, see. I, don't, I don't feel like mine are that large. Eh, you know, you got they're ears. not small. No, no, no. But you're, <laughs> but to hear I mean, you're you not a tiny idea. girl to begin with. I mean, I'm not saying you're a large girl, but you're... <laughs> you're just I, like digging yourself yeah, into okay, a Okay, I'm done talking now. Okay, I'm a slender tall girl. You are a slender tall girl, yes. Yeah, but I'm, I'm definitely not a tiny girl. Oh, and also we're supposed to have long intestines. Excuse me? Intestines. have to have how do, you de- how do you determine that? I don't know. I think my dad's just wanking on about stuff, which he tends to do. But supposedly we have long intestines and yeah. we have long fingers and toes. And my dad it says, it, it's so you can climb the mountains. 
Well, you did have to acclimate to whatever place you were from doing yeah, that Yeah, you know, they're sheep herders. They right. had to have long toes as they tiptoed merrily up the mountain side with no shoes on with their sheep. So I was just, th- there was a, what is the name of that, you know, famous magazine that's over there? National Geographic. Yeah, that, that oh, one. I see it, yeah. And they were talking about uh, humans and thousands of years ago how we could be on these high mountains with very uh, low oxygen mixture and we adapted to this way of living and that there's very few places in the world now where people can live at these extreme altitudes ah. and that we have kind of gone that route already right and but now of course we're living down here. what did they consider extreme altitude i'm curious because i you know i live at nine thousand feet oh that's true you yeah. are you know, you're living in telluride yep, colorado, telluride, colorado. And you've been there how long Ugh. 26 years. Ugh. Ugh. That's like a Jewish, I wish I wasn't there. <laughs> no, I mean, I love it there, but I'm kind of over it. I'm ready. For, I'm just ready for a change, ready for a different adventure, ready for shorter winters. Right. These blooming trees, these blooming trees. I look around Ashland and I think, oh my gosh, we just don't have all this spring happening there. Why are you yet. in Ashland now? Because um, Doug and I are hopefully closing on a house today ah. or tomorrow morning. Yeah. Well, let's tell him who Doug is. Oh, so, yeah, Doug's my guy. All right, so yeah. <laughs> I've known Doug for about almost 15 years. Okay, 14 years because I didn't know him the first year. First year we were here, we bought a house. and then, You and Doug bought a house? No, no, no. Not. <laughs> that would be really like weird. <laughs> yes, I told, as soon as I moved here, I told my ex we're done, and then I, I moved in with Doug. But I did move in with Doug after I got divorced, so there it's, you go. it's similar. But uh uh, we went through one summer where it was just blistering hot here, for me anyway. After coming from San Francisco for eight years oh, where yeah. I wore sweats 300 days out of the year, um, I came back here where they have real summers. Right. And I'd only been here in the winter visiting the previous 14 years because oh. Val, my ex, has sisters that have lived here over two decades. But oh. we only came in the winter. So I didn't know really what summer was like. So the first summer, we no pun intended for Doug, we sweated it out. Yeah, uh, And then the next year I said, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. And so my brother-in-law, Jeff, recommended Doug. And uh, all I remember, and I don't remember much, but I remember sitting in the backyard on the back step smoking a joint. And this dude comes rolling through the back. And it, it's Doug. Mr. He, HVAC. Yeah, HVAC king. And he uh, he tells me he's here to install the central air conditioning, which, of course, I, I he's now my god because he's yeah. saving my ass from sweating for a whole other year. Everybody loves the HVAC guys. They well, make your life like, more comfortable. You know, and like I'm a taxi driver and I've never had a job where I received so much appreciation every day Aww. doing anything. Nothing I've ever done before where people so, and not just drunk people on the verge of vomiting that I get home. Right. Um, just people just taking a ride, just super pleased for a clean vehicle and reasonable, fun conversation, and yeah. you know, not driving like a, an idiot most of the time. So, anyway, so I could see why he's appreciated because he literally makes people's lives better. Right. That's pretty substantial, you know, yeah. to have a job where you can change mm-hmm. how people feel. You know. Right. And, and anytime he's kind of down on, you know, trying to get his music out there, I'm just like, you know what? One one super positive is in your your day job that you do in order to make a living it's pretty important people people really love the work you do you're super efficient you're incredibly knowledgeable i mean he see from the calls he gets all the time i figure he's like for sure one of the most knowledgeable people out there right especially in this area yeah air conditioning and heating oh and about life too he's he's a (laughs) That guy, he's a he's a mystic. Yeah, he's something. He is something. And we're not going to talk about him anymore. I, he's, I'm going to interview him. I, oh, I mean, you're going to interview have, him? I will okay. have a conversation with him. All right. And then he can spout his own shit. Right. By the way, you can say words. Okay, I was wondering about well, that. I received a call from my friend David this morning, and I told him I'm doing the first podcast, broadcast, not broadcast, but podcast today, and recording. And I mentioned that I wasn't going to use overly colorful language. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck. Right. And he said... Well, that's, you know, essentially pretty inauthentic of you uh, right. not to be who you are. Because you curse, sailor. Well, I know, but I <laughs> I wanted to be able to have younger people and older people listen to the program right. and not feel offended. Yeah. But fuck them. 
I guess, right. at this point. So I'll just get whoever I get, and either mm-hmm. you appreciate what you're, or you don't have to listen to we'll it. We'll just see if you go the way of Mark Marin, or if you're just kind of a little more... Uh, I love him, yeah. and I'm partially inspired by what he's done. Mm-hmm. And the whole time I was in Thailand, I would listen to him almost every day. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of my comedic connection back to the States. Yeah. But what he does is something a little bit different, because he's actually a professional comedian, and it's good. What he does is funny, right. and he's interviewing primarily funny people. Not that you're not funny, and most people have <laughs> funny in them. And I or hope famous funny up. people. Famous Hello. funny people. That's really it. Well, you're famous. Maybe you're not famous no, for no. funny, but you're famous. Well, well, mm-hmm. you're you're a famous documentary filmmaker. I mean, I know that your movie Baggett. You're supposed to say film. I was told film is pretentious. The I, word film. you know, I have no preference. Film. Does movie. it sound stupid when I say film? I don't know. To me, it sounds a little more sophisticated, frankly. Your film, your movie. Yeah, the, to me, they're kind of interchangeable. I think for a while, I was sort of on a film kick, like, oh, real thing films, real thing productions, you know, our company. But then I was like, ah, eh, a movie, a film. You know, movies kind of, it almost feels like Baggett was, is a movie and, and Uranium Drive-In is a film. Oh, I don't know. One's like fun it's and light. just sort of light and it's very kind of every man. Feel it's very, it has a lot of mass appeal. And then Uranium Drive-In is just kind of like, uh, I mean, I love the film. I love it, but it's a bit more of a chore. Right. Like, it's it's kind of like you're going to slog through. It, it's beautiful. It's, you know, it's a little heavy. It's it's real people and their real shit that they're going through. And it's got, you know, yeah, it's heavier. And my film now is heavy, too. And, man, I am so ready to go back to comedy or something right. fun. Because I feel like that's, that's... why you married Doug. I know. You I needed, needed just some the, you need the, the levity in your life to yeah. all the heavy shit that you yeah, document. Yeah. What, now, what is your project now? The new one is called Massacre River. We're in post production. Oh, it sounds lovely. It sounds fun, sounds doesn't it? Kind of like the killing Bring the kills. Kids. Yeah. Hmm. It's like, ooh, was this Tyler going to hurt us? I like literally went online and looked up on Box Office Mojo and looked up Box Office for Killing Fields. Because I thought if The Killing Fields was successful, that was a pretty shit name, too. Right. And it did pretty well. Yeah. I'm not going to say we're like The Killing Fields, but, you know, it's, it's a heavy topic. It's about, um, it's set in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And I partly grew up in the Dominican Republic, so I, I really love the country. But they passed this absolute shit law at, near the end of 2013 where they overturned birthright citizenship. Mm-hmm. And it was really aimed at people of Haitian descent. Because mm. they're just like, oh, there are too many over here. We need to stop this. So even if you were born here, even though it's always been our law, you now it turns out you were in transit. You, you were what? You What's were in transit. You were just you know, like from usually, where to where? Usually that's that kind of in transit usually means like you're a diplomat's kid or something and you don't really live there. You're just there very temporarily. They're calling this entire class of people who were born there to have been in transit and they made it retroactive to 1929. So unless you were born before 1929, you're not a citizen, it's which an is arbitrary like five law. people. Yeah, very arbitrary, and it affected over 200,000 people. And we were originally there making a film about sex tourism, but when that happened and our character that we'd been following fell into this class of people, like she was 23 years old, she'd been born there, it's the only country she'd ever known. She's so Dominican. Okay, she has Haitian ancestry, but she is like a Dominican girl. Like the way she speaks, the way she thinks, the, her music, her culture. And, and now so, she's not. Now she's nothing. Now she's she's stateless. She's not Haitian. She's not Dominican. She's just kind of, I mean, it's... Well, how they categorize these people. Then. I mean, this transit has, thing is not a... Yeah. It's not a nationality. You know, the Dominican government, after a lot of pretty immediate people just saying, you know, you can't do this... Mm. Amnesty International, different governments kind of came in and said this is like a travesty and illegal. And they said, okay, well, we're going to have a residency process where people can apply for residency Mm -hmm. and then they can still stay in the country. But even that's pretty bogus. I mean, it's just been, it's incredibly difficult and it's, it's a ridiculous process. So anyway, we... We uh, we show that we follow her along with her family, and they're as they're trying to become, at least so they can stay legally in the country. Right. Yeah. So another really fun one. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. 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 Is Rodney Dangerfield in this one as well? Rodney Dangerfield. Do you even know who he is? Oh, I know who he is. Oh, okay. Well, you looked at me like I I was yeah, speaking but was another he in language. in one of my films? No. I mean, no. It's obviously, nobody like that would be in any of your movies. Oh well. Yeah, he could have been in. Baggett, I guess, but he could have been in Baggett. Instead, yeah. you got kind of a George Costanza character. We got George that. Costanza, yeah. Wow. Yeah. By the way, and I've told you many times, of course, Baggett has profoundly changed 
my perception of the world. To be Aww, no, no, I, good. I, I, I do carry a sense of guilt if I do not have my reusable. I see them right over there hanging up. Your reusable no, bags. No, no, not well. That's that's second. Oh, now that that actually is you know specifically Ashland. I don't know how much of the country has been affected by this, but there are no plastic bags essentially in this town anymore. Wow. And not only do they not offer plastic bags in this town, you have to purchase paper bags. Good. So yeah, I'm sure this is a byproduct of you putting the message out there universally that mm-hmm. we have become totally irresponsible, of course, and not become we've just been right and I, and I just came back from seven months in Thailand where their irresponsibility makes ours look like nothing right they I mean listen and you, can, you can stand bags a, well just not just the little bags all the to-go cups mm. uh, plastic cups hard plastic cups with the straws because they love their sweet beverages there and I notice you know you can go stand in front of the coffee shop any coffee shop downtown and just watch as people sit for 10 minutes and drink an 8 to 16 ounce cup of coffee, and instantly it goes right in the garbage. Right. I mean, within 10 to 15 minutes, these permanent, as my friend uh, Will would say, taking permanent materials and having temporary use is completely irresponsible. And it's completely illogical and unreasonable. And why we would, in our knowing mind, where we're at evolutionarily, just with what we know, how we could even have the wherewithal to think that we could do that yeah and why to have no conscience around it or not even some mindfulness on the fact that we are using this thing and filling a ocean with uh what is it the size of of texas, texas. we yeah, got a yeah. garbage dump out there in the middle of yeah. the fucking ocean that is just getting bigger and bigger and yeah. we're essentially polluting our food Polluting our food is, yeah, because it's not like, you know, I, at first I was like, what does this thing look like? Can you step out onto it? Is it like a little floating flotilla out there? It's nothing little And it's little not, about the it's like little confetti. It's like, it's like, uh, it's still, it's bad either way you look at it. Whether, it were, if it were large chunks, it might even be better because you could pick them up and right. get them out of there. But because it's little pieces of plastic and it's, I mean, the ocean is vast and it's, it's just a very um, dense concentration where there's just more plastic then obviously needs to be there and all kinds of people are trying to figure out ways to get out but you you kind of can't you just can't put more you know we have to do all we can to put as little as possible in there you people are just like oh clean it up you so it would be like a little dragging just a pin through the ocean but I mean, that's just so based huge. on our willingness right to spend whatever time <clears throat> to research it has to be a common goal right like if everybody was consciously involved with wanting to do it it would get done we would find a way we yeah. always find a way to get things done if we want like moon well, going to the moon or right. things like that so if we if we put that kind of energy into the things that we, that we need to do here to clean up our mess yeah uh, there's no doubt in my mind that if we had a common goal Right. That we were all agree, just like I think we need agreements here, uh, new agreements between us as people without these little imaginary boundaries uh, that separate us. We need to decide what we want to do. What's important. Well, What's what is important to all of us? Mm-hmm. That th- these are not uh, issues based on territory or religion or spiritual preference or sexual preference, anything. This is just like, what across the board do we need to do as a species to sustain ourselves. Yeah. So uh, it's it's obvious that if we want to do something, yeah. we can do something. And so many so many of these issues now are you know they've just gone way beyond like they're really about our very survival. Sometimes surprises me that it, people just really don't want to think about it. It's just not comfortable. Right. I don't want to know about that stuff. Yeah. Like, but I think. Uh, even if you don't want to know specifically about all the details, like you don't also mm-hmm. know all the, you know, when you go for surgery, you know, they're not giving you all the details of what they're going to, because it would make you sick and you wouldn't actually probably go in and have this procedure done. Right. So people don't need to know everything, but they need to know what they can do to participate in a way that at least will make them feel good about participating. Yeah. They don't need to know all the ugly shit. But they need to know that they can do something. And if they can do anything without having to be in the muck and the mire of it, or some people will want to be in the muck and the mire, they should have a choice. Like, we can tell you everything. If you want <laughs> to know everything, Your lives will be changed and right. you'll never have a good night's sleep. I mean, you're going to be vomiting for the next week, like it's <laughs> your own private crying game. But I'm just saying, you, we don't have to tell you everything, but here's what you can do mm-hmm. to join the forces of humanity 
to eradicate this problem. Yeah. And yet that was kind of our goal with Bagot is we thought, you know, that from the very beginning, we our sort of mantra, our word that we kept saying was accessible. We want the film to be accessible. Anybody can do, any school, any any individual, any community can can do. And, you know, actually, I just remembered the very first place we played that movie before we were finished with it was here in Ashland. Hmm. Where'd you play it? At the film festival, the Ashland, what's it called? Ashland, Ashland film Independent Festival. Film Independent Film Festival, film festival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't you get don't even come. know the name of the thing that gave well, you the stuff? <laughs> we yeah we won the audience award. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, see, I didn't get to come. Oh. Um, Jeb came. Mm. Who's in the Who's in the film? Right. Who's obviously very fun and funny. And yeah. So How I'm can actually. How people see it now? People, get, it's on uh, Netflix as a DVD. Our streaming contract's over with them, but it's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. Why is the streaming contract over? What does that mean? Ah, uh, you know these deals where you buy the streaming rights for one year, yeah, and after that one year, it's like you never hear from them again. It's, we were kind of like, oh, surely we can up this because we know we got a lot of views. That's another thing; they don't tell you how many views you had. It's proprietary information; they don't want you to know how popular it was or whatever. But is that what helps them determine whether or not it continues uh, in a streaming form or not? Per, I think it's probably one of the factors. Because it seems like that would be a film. This is not like some dumb cop buddy movie. Right. This is like something that everybody needs to see or have an opportunity yeah. to see so they can decide whether or not they can participate on that level. Yeah, yeah. Well, Amazon and iTunes for now. And Netflix if you have DVD, hmm. which who does that? What is that? What I is just that? got this computer I right here. I can't put a thing in this thing here. There's no I more know. slot. No more slot. So you now I got to go so I can watch my Seinfeld DVDs. <laughs> I need to buy an external player. Thing, yeah. I got to buy one of those little things. They're only like 20 bucks. Okay. They're cheap. That's not bad. I bought one actually before I left for Thailand for my laptop because I had to load a new operating system. But I returned it after I loaded the operating system. I uh, just give you were trying it out, making sure it worked. Oh, it worked. There you go. I should have kept it though. What an idiot! It's only fucking twenty dollars. Why would right. I? Well, I didn't think I'd ever use it again. And now, when will I ever need this again? Maybe to watch old movies from the library. Yeah, but I had a computer that had a slot, so I could do that. Oh uh, yeah. And yeah. I wasn't use. I didn't bring my Seinfeld episodes to Thailand with me. Although, if I kept both, if I kept that thing, I could have brought those. All right, listen. Enough about me and my shoes. So your shoes. So you were born in Jamaica? Yep. How'd that happen? Yep. Uh, my dad, Spanish guy, that makes perfect sense why they sent him to Jamaica. During the Spanish Civil War, his family went to Cuba, mm-hmm. and he loved Cuba, grew up there, but then he moved to the U.S. to be a chaperone for his sister, who was going to work for U.S. company as an interpreter. So he spent the last year of high school there and started working for this company, and he went, I've asked him, like, how did he, how he did this? But he went from being the kind of the guy that swept the floor to becoming a manager over a few years. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he's, he was very, uh, you know, kind of with it and had a lot of drive. So they sent him to a started company in Jamaica. And I was born there. And what was the company specifically? Shoe shoe company. Shoes. Uh huh. So when you talk about shoes, I was like, oh, you're talking about shoes. Talking about zapatos here. Zapatos. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then they transferred him to Puerto Rico, which made more sense since he was obviously Spanish as his first language. Right. And so I mainly grew up there. And then he went to Dominican Republic when I was in just almost finished with high school, like a year left of high school. So I'd go to Dominican a lot, and I loved it. I mean, I, I love Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic, but... So you were, you were in J- Jamaica for how long? Until- oh, I was only uh, like two and a half or something. Okay. When so we not too there. many memories. Not too many memories. We've gone back, because, right. you know, if you're down in the Caribbean, it's pretty easy to island hop. Hop around, yeah. Yeah. So then you went to the Dominican Republic when you were about two and a half. So what do you... To Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, And then Dominican, yep. And so what was that... What was your childhood like in... So freaking idyllic, and I had no idea. It just seemed so normal, but it was pretty great. It was pretty great. What'd you do as a kid? Uh, I mean, kick the can? I mean, what... It what was did... just like, you know, went Normal? to the beach a lot, um, obviously, if you live down there. we uh, It was really cheap to do fun things like have a horse. So we just had a horse. Why not, right. you know? Ride horses down on the beach. Right. And, uh, but it'd be the kind of thing that I think would be cost prohibitive if you live in the U.S. Like, really rich girls had horses. Right. Um, which I later learned when I went to college... They're like, you had a horse? I was like, well, we paid 100 bucks for him. It wasn't like, <laughs> it, wasn't like it was a great horse. Wow. 
but it could But run. it wasn't one of these like nasty horses no, you see in Mexico like, where you see their ribs. It wasn't like glue like factory horse. Yeah, it right. was like decent. Right. Yeah. So you rode on the beach, slow motion, very yeah, beautiful. Yeah, very slow fun. motion with my yeah. hair flying yeah. and, you know, very gauze like clothing on <laughs> so it could blow, <laughs> so it could catch the breeze. Do you have any yeah. uh, sisters and brothers? I have an older brother and an older sister. Uh, my sister's, I think, like 17 years older than I am, so she was kind of a parent figure. Yeah. And my brother is about six years older. Yep, Where he still are they now? lives. He's never lived in the U.S. I mean, he came to the U.S. for a little while, and he just doesn't like the whole thing. Thing, the whole yeah. thing, which yeah. I'm, it's really tough. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it can be a hard adjustment. I mean, I've lived in Telluride. It's like I've lived in a foreign country all this this time. Right. Um, but he has lived in Dominican Republic for about thirty years, and then he went to Ecuador, and now he's in. Um, he is now in Guatemala. He just moved to Guatemala. I like his. Uh, I like what he's doing because I. I mean, I just came back from Thailand in December. Yeah. And it was like a, a punch in the face, man, to come back here. It really was. It yeah. was so surprising, to be, uh, shown this, huge contrast between experiences, whereby, for seven months I didn't see two people yell at each other. I mean, I did see some teachers smack in the back of some kids' heads. But, right. But two adults. But they deserved it. Well, kidding. no, I'm I'm, don't get me started. It was. <laughs> I actually spoke where it never been spoken before about my unpleasant feelings around their cultural ability to smack their children in school. And I, I even told the director of the school, it's like, you can't do that. How can you do this? Yeah. You know, they got to be able to feel safe coming to school, even though they're not learning. You know, they teach kids that uh, stars are rocks. These are not the brightest people, by the way. The culture, I'm, they're sweet. They're wonderful, but. They're super wonderful, but their education system is horrific. And, uh, and you know, 75% of their employment is Bangkok, and the rest of the country is pretty much starving and poor. Mm. But they love each other, and there's a huge, like, where your family is really important. Yeah, so, yeah. So what was it like going to school? Well, I went to an American school, mm. which, in hindsight, I kind of wish that I hadn't. I guess the reason I went there is my mom taught there. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like a free tuition situation. Was that uncomfortable for you to be in the same school where your mother eh, taught? Not so much. I wasn't usually in classes with her. Mm. I think I took one government class for her when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. well, the first year she was a librarian, so that was kind of different. You'd go right. to the library, and I wanted to be locked in the library all weekend and just read and have no one bother me. Wow. And You're like that, that uh, Twilight Zone episode. Oh. That's the Twilight first Twilight. Episode. I think it was the first Twilight Zone episode with Burgess Meredith. Ah. where he just wants to be left alone so he can read. Yeah. So he kind of wishes everybody, there's a, a dystopic uh, catastrophe and the whole world is destroyed, except him. Right. And books everywhere. He ends up like he's surrounded by books, but I guess he trips and he breaks his glasses. So now he can't Oh, see. gosh. Oh, the, oh yes. I it's think I've heard of that It's such a brilliant. One. He can't roll. Oh, he can't see. So All he wants to do horrible. is read and now he can't see. Oh, but I actually, oh my gosh. I love that episode because... You know, I hadn't read for 25 years until my 50th birthday. And then someone, my dear friend Alan, bought me uh, Alan Watts' autobiography in, in my own way, which kicked off five years of me just devouring books. Oh, so you didn't read for a while. Like, you weren't a big reader. Not at all. Wow. And then I went, I did the opposite. Yeah. Literally the opposite. I was reading everything. Huxley, Tolstoy, Steinbeck. Wow. You name it. Wow. I, I was reading everything. Which is why I'm doing this partially now is because... I have now all the good information, I think, that I know, yeah. that I think that I know, that hopefully I can impart on some people in addition to this cool way of uh, uh, having conversations with individuals. Yeah. Uh, and I just really want to help people to stop suffering. That's, right. That's avoidable. There, isn't there like a, a college where it's, I think it's called like the great books, where literally the college is you just read the great books? I don't know anything about I, that. I, I, we should look it up at some point. I think it's, uh, I, I know it exists. I'm not sure where it is, but I'm like, what a great concept or what a you know different concept. Well, you know, I'm paying my kids to read now. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm paying I got them to read, though. I got that from you, and I've, I've been trying that, too. And? Is it working? It's not working. Why isn't it working, do you think? Because uh, he's he says, well, I'm already assigned books in school, and it's he's not a, he's not a big reader. He's not that into it. How much did you offer to pay him? Well, I started at five bucks for a book, and then I went up to twenty, and it still didn't work. It's okay. I'll just uh, not read. Do you the pay book. him allowance? No, because uh, well, so I how have does that he generate thing. revenue? You know, he comes to me when he needs money for stuff. Yes. My new system, because I just, you know, I read a bunch. Do you ever read any of those Love and Logic books about parenting? No. 
so there's one now for teenagers. I thought they really mm. helped me when he was young, and he yeah. was just like off the handle with like a tantrums and stuff, and, right. and they stopped immediately. I was like, I love this book. How did that happen? Oh, you just like completely ignore them, ignore them, and step over them in the store and sure. get on to do your thing, and yeah. just come find me in aisle three when you feel better. Well, because you're not giving them anything to feed off of, especially like not being embarrassed or just like, hey, whatever, you know. If people can give me the stink eye, I don't care. Sure, I'm gonna. This is a learning experience, right. and you can take it or leave it. Right. And uh, same awesome thing at home. He yeah. would just get completely pissed about something, and I'd put him in his room, and I'd have to pull the door handle. And just say, come out when you when you feel sweet. And like the kindest voice. Like I would never raise my voice anymore. Right. I would never freak out. I would not let him ruffle my feathers. And it was like all this behavior just ended within a few days. Like it took a couple days for him to realize, okay, this game's not on anymore. Wow, how empowering. So anyway, this book was great. And so now I read one for teenagers. And it said, um, so they made a point. Because I'd read one earlier by them. And it was said, oh, don't do allowance. But then this uh, nearer one was kind of like, you know, you can do sort of what I yeah, allowance. If if it's not like that they're getting it for the chores that they're doing, because everyone does chores, everyone right. uh, helps out. But it's almost like I'm giving him some money each week that he's with me, because he splits his time with his dad, 20 bucks. And that money is for him to manage mm -hmm. and for him to figure out he's got a debit card, he has a bank account. He can. How old is he? He's almost 15. Okay. Yeah. He can... Uh, Go and get pizza with his friends. He can. I have to ask me if he wants to go to a movie. It's like, well, use your use your money, figure it out. Um, because I got, I didn't want him always coming to me and say, hey, can I have ten dollars? I'm going out. Was well, he my asking friends. for more than what you give him? No, not really. Okay. But I just kind of feel like it's a good skill to know how to manage money. And totally. If you blow it all on on buying more gems for whatever that one of those games is called, and it's right. like, well, I guess you don't have any money to go with your friends for pizza. Right. Or you, you can't buy your friend a birthday present. Bummer. Or, or now that you don't have any money and you really need money, here's a book to read. There you go. Well, remember, you I mean, I, mean yeah. I think there's a way that you can still infuse yeah. that concept because he's never going to stop asking for money for a while, for right. a few years anyway. Yeah. And you can still leverage that. Okay. And it's not a but. Right. It's just, yeah, here's 20 and you put it inside the book you want him to read and hand him the book and the money at the same time, that way it's totally unavoidable. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just it's it's just an idea. I've actually had very good luck so far with Sam. He's trailing off, though, because he's got like 100 bucks now, and I told oh. him, I said, you need to stick that in the bank. Yeah. I said, and then you can forget about it. If you want to save for something, at least you know that you got $100 in there. It'll accumulate, you know, a, the teeniest bit of interest, and then occasionally right. you can dump more money in there. Yeah. But I think because... He has money now. He's feeling all flush. He doesn't want to read. Yeah. So then I was told also another way to do it is not just monetarily. Like today at 4.30, he's going to have his first drum lesson. Okay. So he's going to get drum lessons. I said, I will pony up the $100 for the first four lessons. And I will buy all the stuff that Tom Stamper, his drum teacher, has asked me to purchase for him to be able to do this. But after that, now he has to figure out how to help pay for this. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. And again, I don't mind spending the money, but I want to see that he's also willing to do something for it. I pay him. He actually wants to do it. Yeah, yeah. He has to really be motivated. And I'm hoping he loves the shit out of playing drums because it'll give me another leverage point. Because well, you're a drummer. He right. probably has it in his. Well, bones. you know, he's adopted, so there's oh, right. no genetic. Okay. Well, no, in okay, there. then power of uh, but association. He's, but he's, you know, I'm only like, what, 5'5, five, five, 160 pounds. He's already 13. He's almost 6 foot, 230 <laughs> See you pounds. you guys at dinner, that was pretty hilarious. It was like, okay. It's not, it's completely <laughs> surreal. I mean, he's my son. It doesn't right, make right. a difference. I don't think about that at all. Yeah. But he is a gigantic, cute. consuming human being. And I told him, I said, you're going to be an awesome drummer because you will just beat the shit out of these things so hard without even trying. <laughs> I have to, like, really work at doing it. He's just, his weight behind it is just yeah. going to kill these things. Anyway, so yeah. he starts today, and I'm Good. hoping that he falls in love with it. And, yeah, that was the other component was if, if the monetary thing starts to not work, because there's certain experts that yeah. say maybe that's not the best route or maybe it's just a temporary fix and you need to figure out how to keep them engaged without having to keep paying them. Right. Like you could give them other experiences yeah. in exchange for them doing. He's Yeah, Lachlan, uh, he's had, he's has a pretty good life. He goes to a great school. He just got back from Costa Rica or the school. They went as their class to Costa Rica Amazing. and did all these hikes and 
homestays with families and uh, sounds like the perfect school. He's yeah, he's he's got a good life and he, you know, he's kind of he's come out of his shell. He was maybe a little shyer as a kid, but he's really funny and loves his friends. His class, the boys and the girls, they're just best friends. Right. They just hang out with each other and they're pretty innocent. At 14, you know, they're yeah. pretty dang innocent. It's, yeah. I'm, I'm really Which lucky. Is great. Yeah, I don't need them to be growing up too fast at all. My daughter's 16. I tell her, hey, keep playing with dolls on your bed and being a little girl yeah. because at some point and not too far in the distant future, it will all come to a screeching halt. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you've got these shitty adult problems yeah. and all this other stuff, boys and booze and drugs and all these other things that are and it's in your so hard all that stuff Ugh. i don't think it's even remotely on her radar Good. any of this Good. stuff and i love her little yeah. beautiful pimply face attitude Aww. who likes to say fuck dad why'd you say that or dad <laughs> don't be such a fucking idiot or I, I, I gave my children permission to swear right which at times i feel like i, I may have made a bit of a mistake to, <laughs> to initiate that license um but they've been pretty good about, and my daughter, and she's funny. She's very funny. Yeah. And and she does add it. I did count one time within like seven sentences. She said "fuck" seven times. I said, "See no, now no, you're no, just no. you're not you're not you, that's not finesse. That's not using it intelligently." I said, "You you use it for emphasis. It's not every other word. Otherwise, you just look like a fucking it just idiot." Lost all its power. Yeah, you got lost your credibility too yeah. because if you can leverage your vocabulary well and pepper your vocabulary with these expletives right you will look smart and mm -hmm. then you, you, you know you're gonna appear like you know what you're doing but if you just swear all the time like sam's was doing that for a while he was just saying fuck and shit and and uh i said yeah that it's it's not funny i think it's good that you gave them the permission to explore because now they know that to pull back it's kind of like these kids they the parents never let them have a drink ever, and they go to college, and they just become total alcoholics. Oh, my son's already an I alcoholic. Was... He's 13. I mean, he's drunk every day. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I was allowed to drink with my family, and that was part of the culture. And so when I went to college, I felt like gone out with my friends a couple times. I'm like, well, that Boone's Farm sucks, or whatever it was, or that rum. And so um, I kind of was over it. I was We're over totally the unsophisticated thing. in that way. We are living in denial. We yeah. make everything taboo and and that fo therefore we abuse whether it's sex or drugs or alcohol or anything yeah western culture is just kind of this that's why we're all fat and eat a lot of shit it's because we're told no 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 don't do any of it yeah till you're like this age this arbitrary age like you're 18 you can go murder people abroad and you can vote <laughs> but you can't drink for three years after, after that. that even when you really need that alcohol then as soon as you know you can vote and you can go murder people, they should give you free booze. Yeah, you should get a case of beer. And it's too bad because I know in other countries like Italy where the children, they'll have a little glass of wine or something with, not babies, but I mean, right. but they're treated like people. And we don't treat people like people here. We treat them categorically. And that's really dangerous because we're not a category. We're people. Yeah, everybody is a somebody. Yeah, you know, it's not like a, you're an age category or you're a race category or a culture category. Yeah, we're just... We're just uh, people trying to, you yeah. know, do the best we can based on the fact that we know nothing. Uh, so you grew up in... Caribbean. Caribbean. Yeah. And, and uh, pretty normal childhood for you. And, mm -hmm. and when did you start to discover perhaps that you wanted to be in the creative field that you're in now? Um, so I did theater growing up. And I, I loved it, musicals. And when I went to college, I was a pre-med student and then decided to audition for a play for fun and just absolutely loved it. It was like what I'd done in high school, but at a whole nother level. So I got offered a scholarship from the theater department, called the folks and said, hey, I know this may not be the best thing to hear that your daughter is going to go from pre-med track to theater major, but... And they were very supportive. Cool. <laughs> no, were they, they? No, they were supportive. Sometimes yeah. I'm just like, why the hell wasn't I a doctor? I mean, I don't know. I sometimes on the, you know, at being this this world of the arts is is complicated. It's it's feast or famine. Some it's sometimes I get tired of being poor, but I have a pretty great life. I lamented about it to another a colleague of mine. He's like, but Suzanne, man, you went to Mongolia and Russia last year, and you went to the Dominican Republic, and you. To this and that, and you're going as a guest to these festivals, and you have like a total rock and roll lifestyle. 
And I was like, you're right. It's it's a pretty good gig. And yeah, I get but to it would be nice if you could... Make a living. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and not have to struggle because really, I mean, what... You're providing public service. Yeah. You're well, providing you know, education, to be honest, and, and you yeah. should be properly compensated for, you know, informing the world, and, the, and that's kind of a thing in the U.S. as well, where it is easier to make a living, from what I hear from friends of mine who live in, you know, Sweden or Norway or Denmark who are filmmakers. There's a lot more government support. And... Um, I just feel like, my gosh, we have Hollywood in the U.S. Like it's, it's like the biggest movie-making machine. It just seems like some of it should give back to more independent filmmakers. Why do independent filmmakers here in this country struggle more than in so many other countries? I'm not really It makes no sense, sure. actually. It, it seems like there should be some kind of more support. But anyway, I, I'm super, It's because you don't blessed. generate a shit ton of money. That's right, why. Right, it's all about money. That's it, because you are not as financially viable as someone who makes some stupid blow-up blockbuster piece of shit right. that convinces idiots to come in and spend $12, $15, and that they can make another one, and yeah. another one, yeah. and another one, until you've exhausted the people, and then you just change it a little bit and give them another one. And yeah. Yours is the necessary filmmaking. Mm. That is entertainment. That's part of our problem is we're totally 180 degrees upside down. Our value system is the opposite of what it should be. Your film should be the one that is absolutely supported. You should be supported fully in communicating what you're trying to communicate to people to help us. Right. Those other things are not helping us, but they make money. So again, it's the, it's, it's really around. it's a value system problem. I mean, I do feel super thankful. I, I don't know if I told you, but we got um, a very large grant from ITVS, which is part of the, they get funds from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Mm -hmm. So the new film I'm working on is fully funded cool. now. Like I'm getting paid, wow. like completely getting paid a, a livable wage. Wow. And uh, it'll be on PBS. So it's like it already has its home. So I don't have to don't pound have to the pavement looking for, I don't have to go to festivals and like, and you know, uh, fingers crossed that we get a good distributor. It's, it's right. kind of, it's set. And that feels good. I'm like, I'm, I'm paying an editor right now in New York who's working on the film while I'm here chatting with you, and that That's feels good, awesome. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before, I've always edited our films, which is a lovely process, but it's also, God, you know, when you've made the film and you've just been living and breathing it. I've, this Dominican already. film, I've been making it now for since late, to, since 2013, we started doing research. Right. So that's been a long time. Right. About four years. We, right. You know, we weren't on the main story yet. We were doing other stuff. Um, so I'm ready. I'm so happy to have it handed over to someone. And of course, I'm still incredibly involved. And I'll be going to New York in July and working with her. And she'll be coming to uh, tell your ride to work. But um, it feels really nice to know that it's more of a team effort instead of like whipping myself. That or I you're going to get a better product anyway that way, having more hands yeah. and eyes on it. And yeah. you know, she can look at it with fresh eyes. Right. I already know what's going on. And she can kind of be like, well, we, we can't get from point A to point B without some kind of some kind of information here like you know the story but it's also different because if you know the language and you know the story you just are ma I'm making these bridges that don't quite exist yet where she's like oh right. no we need to figure out how to get there right so she's been great and it's uh nice nice to have her on board and uh, yeah when I go to New York uh Lachlan's doing a science and technology camp there that's awesome he's, he's a more of a science guy than a book guy he's like well Sam's a science guy my yeah. Sam, he's a science junkie. Yeah. And he's really stupid smart. Like, he knows stuff, man. Yeah. And he starts telling me things. And, you know, I'm not an idiot, but I'm certainly not informed scientifically like he is. Right. Um, so right. I pre I mean, I can see that he can be something. People, you know, he's, he's big. He looks like he should be a football player. Everybody asks, so what sports is he doing? I said, he's not doing any sports. Right. He's... <laughs> fucking smart i don't want to break his brain <laughs> he's got something to offer the world he could save us why would i want to put him on the field and have him run, run into each other like a bunch of stupid fucking rams yeah it's ridiculous yeah so um and he's after uh, you know uh engaging him in conversation about uh what a concussion can do to you oh or yeah showing yeah. him like the muhammad ali's and the other famous people that became broccoli after their professional careers and died early, uh, sadly, that their, right. their lives were terminated because of contact sports or collision sports. Yeah. And There's so some football documentary, isn't there? My, my friend of mine, you know Lucy Walker? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the film out, The Crash Reel. It came out, I guess, maybe a year ago or so about a brain injury from um, concussion of a snowboarder and how it affects the whole family. Is it multiple injuries? Or? Yeah, multiple. Yeah. He's had He hit his head several times. But, yeah. you know, the last one was pretty bad. And um, But there's... Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there's also a film out about football injuries and kids. Like, you could have a little kid, these, like, little peewee kids just crashing their heads together. Well, it's adult ego. This has yeah. nothing to do with the kids having fun. This is putting them at yeah. harm's risk for your entertainment. And, and, and Gladiators! Put, Huh? Gladiators. It's gladiators. <laughs> yeah, but we're not anymore. This right. Is not we don't the need Roman to do times. that anymore. No. So I'm really pleased that Sam is a logical and reasonable boy, yeah. adolescent, and realizes that it's not important for him to do that. He thought it was early on. He wanted to play football because he got it in his head that his size uh, equated to him doing these things. And I said, no, just because you're a certain size doesn't mean you have to be something yeah. nothing projecting there's nothing projected on you other that you than, have to do it no yeah. not not at all and and so his his mother and i at least we huddled up on that and and uh and, and it's worked out i mean once he's 18 he, you know he wants to ride a motorcycle and i, I think it's brilliant because i love motorcycles and when i take him to thailand i'm going to teach him to ride a motorcycle in thailand um but that's different to me yeah that's a yeah. different whole it's not humans running into each other yeah <laughs> At least he's, you know, he can learn how to control himself. I just ran into a motorcycle dude in the laundromat yesterday. He's only, he's, I don't know, he's 67, 68. He's only had one little incident in his life. And he said, there's more people dying on bicycles than there are on on motorcycles. He goes, bicycles are dangerous. You can't get out of the way quick enough. You can't accelerate. You're just kind of a dead target if you know you pull out in the middle of something you can't do anything yeah. so on a motorcycle you have more leverage and latitude to avoid catastrophe although my uncle i guess got in, a, in a, a horrible motorcycle accident on the freeway and broke literally every bone in his body Oy. was in the hospital for like six months and uh and lived he lived wow. he's fine wow. um, but i only i've only had two little spills um, and nothing serious broke a couple fingers and scraped a knee in thailand on my scooter Anyway, so, okay, back to you're now acting and you're in a, in a performance <laughs> in mode. mode. Yes, you're, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I did that. I uh, focused on acting, you know, performance and directing. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of think that's where I got the, sort of the directing bug. I, I loved both. I, I really love performing. It's just so, it's so, I don't know, it has, being on stage, and I'm not the kind of person that, is, um, I would say in my private life, I'm not like a big attention seeker. I don't like like to jump into a room and be like, hello. I'm kind of those, you know, they say a lot of actors are can be um, a quiet personality, but when sure. they get on stage, it kind of comes out. So I kind of feel like that that was me. I just really loved ha- making people happy, making people laugh, making people have a good time or helping them have a good time. And uh, so did that and moved to, got my degree there and uh, moved to Telluride right after that. And started a theater company there. And it's still going. I did it huh. for about uh, 12, 13 years. And then decided to, um, wanted to branch out into film. And so sort of passed the baton. And But you're in film on the other side of the camera. Right. So right. why, why when you had this experience where you were the person acting and doing all these things, what made you decide to kind of abandon that and... and and be the creator instead of well i was when i ran the theater company i was also i was acting and directing Mm. and producing and i was the artistic director of the company right so there was a lot of behind the scenes kind of work writing grants fundraising which is as a director in film it turns out that's a huge part of what you do is fundraise and write grants and and raise raise money for your film and people and i think people don't really realize it it's like it can easily be over 50% of your time. Well, I, I, I have a friend here, Gary Lundgren, who's, who, who's uh, a filmmaker. Yeah. And, and I watched him after he finally finished his uh, second big film. And, uh, and that's what he and his wife did, is they spent all their time, they created a Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. and did all this other hardcore stuff just to get money to pay yeah. for what they did. And yeah. it became their full-time job. 
and they were actually very successful at it. They they got the money that they wanted to raise, and so they can you know perpetuate this this lifestyle of creating movies, right. uh, which takes money, and, yeah. or at least the willingness of people to do something for free, which it's hard to ask everybody to do that all yeah. the time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I got to witness kind of that whole process. It's pretty intense. Yep. And, you know, I guess the transition from theater to film, I guess it happened in that I, while I absolutely love theater, I felt like when I had sort of ideas, like, you know, you get these bangs in your head we're just like you just see it you can just watch it playing in front of you it was almost always in film instead of in theater mm. like I would envisualize a, a play and oh that would be great but I got had so many more in film so I thought huh I should check that out so I went and made a short film that I literally just wrote it out in one sitting of course there were no words so that made it easier <laughs> what, did, what did you write just scenes, the, the concept setup? the scenes yeah. like what what it was about what happened and I uh, went and filmed it in the Dominican Republic. I was going there on vacation to visit family. And, you know, it did okay. I played a few festivals. and. Um, did you shoot it yourself? I did shoot it myself. What did yeah. you shoot with? Some curious. crappy camera back then. It was like a tape camera. It was, it was okay. It was good for its time. I actually had a friend from the Tarried Film Festival come with me to do the camera, but because he owned the camera. So I was like, well, he's got a camera. He, he should come and be the cinematographer. Right. But on the plane, he told me, well, I've never actually used it. <laughs> so believe me, my a friend and I, a really amazing friend of mine, she, she's like, okay, we're getting that camera out of the van overhead on the plane and getting out the manual, and we just read that frigging thing on was the plane. Was it a Sony? Probably. A Sony. I think it was okay, a yeah. Sony. Had my first uh, filming experience. It was fun. And then and then I had to learn to edit because it was, in Telluride, it was like, they had just switched over to... Um, not editing anymore with the little reel-to-reel video sure. stuff, and right. it was actually going to be non-linear Digital, editing, yeah. and no one in town had ever done it again. So really? Because it was brand new. Like it, the, the but you were like a pioneer in that town of digital yeah, editing. Yeah. Wow, that's kind of how I made my living for the next however many years is editing. So they they the radio station got the system, and everybody was like, well, I don't know how does this work. So I just kind of figured it out. It was Media One Hundred. That was the software? That was the software, and it was hardware, too. And uh, before I knew it, I got hired immediately to be an editor for a production company, post-production, um, doing their editing. And it was, like, mainly commercial stuff, but right. it was it paid well. And, and I thought, well, I'll just use this as my job, and I'll start getting doing other film. And so I let the theater go. And you miss it? I miss it sometimes, but I don't miss the... You know, if, if if I were doing it professionally where I could rehearse during the day and be home with my son at night right. and with Doug at night, then, right. then I'd be into it. But, you know, to not be there at night because you're in rehearsal, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I'm not really into that so much anymore. Right. Um, I'd happily do it. If Can I you were. just roll in and be in something? I, I do mean, that. Yeah. I do that a lot. You do town. some cameo stuff? I, I just show up and like, hey, I don't really need to rehearse that much. You don't know me so well. Oh, you with so little memory of when I ran this whole show, this right. whole shit and caboodle show. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes they let me come in and not rehearse so much. <laughs> Do you get to choose your little parts? Uh, you know, I've I've the the new director of the of the of the theater. Sometimes she'll say, "Hey, do you want to do this little thing?" And I said, "Sure." But you know, I I mainly don't do it just because it's just it's, it's still too consuming. much time. It's still yeah. too much time. Yeah, I mean, I am so dang busy trying to keep this film going, and how much it's, more? It's a lot. So, how much more time do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I'm trying to have at least a rough cut by September, so we can be considered for next season's PBS slot. You know, they have they they decide their season in September for mm -hmm. the following year. So, if we're not ready to be at least to consider what show we're going to be on, because the different shows are going to look at it and kind of pitch to say oh we, we would like to take it or whatever like right. pov well, i'd love it if it's on pov or independent lens but there are so many other pbs brands out there of different um whatever they call it i'm still learning all the lingo right shows different right. different uh strands i guess they call it strands, strands. there are many nice. more pbs strands oh. hmm. we'll see what because otherwise i have to wait a whole nother year it would be coming out in 2019 hmm. 
if it works out for you, is this uh, is this another channel whereby you could get more work that is paid for yeah. and guaranteed, essentially? I mean, they're so damn democratic. It's not like you become their pet project and or their or their filmmaker, and you just right. automatically they just go, hey, why don't you do this film? Right. You still have to apply and do the whole right. shebang. But I'm sure it probably helps once you're in the family. Well, you must have a little bit of leverage once I you've would made hope them happy so. once. Yeah, and if it goes well, hopefully I'd be, I'd move up a little bit in the stack of right. hundreds of thousands of applications. Right. It's like the hardest grant to get in the country, so I'm just like completely. I feel like it's, it's definitely one of the hardest. Maybe, you know, MacArthur used to be considered extremely hard, but now they don't even give grants anymore to films. Hmm. That, you know, uh, it's it's tough out there. It's not a great environment for raising money for films. If if you're going the whole grant route, yeah. Still, I've been learning the system. I feel like I'm, because I'd love to make a a narrative film. Like I've got a script and I'm super excited to do it. But it's just that whole daunting thing of having to learn how to raise money now for a narrative film. Don't you live in like a place where there's a lot of money? There is a lot of money. Can't yeah. you just leverage yourself in this community where you are known? Maybe. And try some. doing a local uh, like Kickstarter or some other kind of campaign right. that specifically addresses your community? Could. Yeah, you know, Kickstarter is... Um, it's it's a lot of work, you know. People. I get someone else to do it. I mean, yeah. I, you wouldn't do all that work anyway. It's right. ridiculous. It's like, oh, That's why it's Gary's several wife months did all of that. work of yes. just to set it up. And anyway, it's possible. Yeah, I don't want to be like, a, oh, it's too hard. But I, you know, I've never kind of been that person to to say to let people say no. You can't do that. It's too hard. I'm just when people say that to me, I'm kind of like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to do I'm it anyway. Fucker. Show yeah. you. Yeah. And Good. I almost I almost like dig in harder. Like if anyone says, oh no no. No, that's too hard. So maybe I should be playing reverse psychology with you right now. Right, like, like, you, you, can't, you can't do no, a no, no, no. feature film. You'll never film. do a feature film. Well, I've already made two. I'm on my third Yeah, one. well, third yeah, time's never going to happen. Documentaries fucking don't loser. count. That's right. They're not real movies. You get paid. Air quotes, air quotes. Air quotes, air quotes, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, I would love to do... A fi- I, like the f- I like the story. I'm still working on it, but I definitely have a, a, a script and... Um, I probably could make it pretty low budget, so if, if I don't raise enough money, I'll just make it anyway. Which well, you is have what two communities Baggett. now, too, by the way. You have this community. Right. Which is actually a very uh, film-supportive community. Yeah. I've heard that. That's part of why I'm really excited to come here. I mean, Telluride is as well. There are some great filmmakers there, and I, it's very supportive. But, um, but now you yeah, have, two have two streams to draw off That's of, right. potentially, to raise money. Yeah. Yeah, there's some money in Ashland, I've heard, too. There's shit tons of money here. You yeah. just have, and, and they love giving money for things. I mean, <laughs> they love to give money for money things. Money for things. They have a whole company here. It's called We Give Money for Things. And yeah. you just have to call them up and say, I have some things. I have and, some and things I need some money for. Yeah, no problem. Come over. We'll give you some Like money. a cinematographer. Can you pay for that thing? Yeah, no an problem. Editor? How about an editor? No that's problem. Well, we actually have people thing. that do those things here, too. Right. But that's the most expensive line item in your budget is your Editing, editor. Editing, for oh, sure. Oh, my God. Hours and hours and it's, hours and so hours. So that's, that's where we're spending our the, the big massive chunk of, of but that's the grant. difference between that's the make or break part of the deal it's like yeah you could shoot tons of shit and have everything but if, yeah. if it can't be put together cohesively and tell the story right then it's although now that i'm thinking of it editing in a in a narrative film is supposedly not nearly as difficult obviously as narrative right. as a documentary film because you know most of your work is pre-production getting it all ready your script you know, you got to make sure you film the sucker right. You get all your angles and everything you need. I would imagine that that editing for a feature, and I'm sure some narrative editor right now is like, "Fuck you! You don't know shit, right. you documentary filmmaker." But I know editing documentaries. It's like you have several hundred hours of footage. And you're I like, think it's what a totally the hell different are thing. we doing here? Yeah. And you, of course, you have a plan. Yeah, you know, but, you your stories, but your stories, but your stories, things change. It. But with a narrative film. It's what it yeah, is. Yeah, it is what it they've is. Already, they've already... They you know, you got your what master they, what they shot. You're over the shoulder. Right. You're just slapping that shit together. Right. I'm, I'm not going to believe any of you at Tell Woody Allen that. You're just slapping you your shit slap together. together. Woody. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can do that. I'll, I'll, edit, I'll edit the film. I'm not afraid. Well, you can't. So what are you editing in now? Uh, we're, we just switched over about a year ago to Premiere Pro. Versus Final Cut? We were on Final Cut. I did a little Avid... I've been through a lot of different ones. Why are you using Premiere, Premiere versus Pro? Final Cut now? You know, it seems like, oh, I don't know if it was just 
because our entire office, once they, once the Final Cut sort of dumped and went more the consumer, prosumery right. route, and With people felt V10. very... Yeah, people felt very uh, slighted. Well, they were cheated. They made this yeah. kind of iMovie version yeah. of their own powerful software, and I think right. there were a lot of disappointed editors. Like, where's the, where's the professional version of this software that They're I like, was oh, supposed to have? Oh, we don't have it anymore. Well, you've seen some of those hilarious videos, like the Conan O'Brien show did one about making fun of it, and the one where they use a scene of Hitler in the bunker just going nuts where they that. add subtitles. No. He's like, well, at least we can uh, bring in our old projects. And they're like, oh, no, they, they won't come in. We, we can't actually import them. Oh, I don't remember. I didn't oh, see that. Oh, you got that. it. I'll show it That's to you funny. after the interview. It's hilarious. That's funny. Uh oh. No, I think we're fine. That's it's a it's a screen. I'm, we're still recording. Oh but, my gosh! And I did set it up where it won't like you've shut used, us down. You've used the end of the of your memory now. <laughs> just kidding. no, God, I hope not. I just got this machine. It's got all kinds of terabytes, and it's like sixteen right, gigs right. of RAM, and I've never had that much RAM before. Right. It feels good. Oh wait, where's I mean? Oh, Doug Fergus. What time is Are it? Are you ready? To, we should go. All right. So listen. Uh, we have to do like a sign-off thing, right? Yeah, we. Uh, that was great. You, you feel good about what we did? I feel Honestly. like it. No, I feel like it went really well. Really? I, I mean, you're going to have to obviously do some editing, but... Okay. Well, I think it went well, too. I mean, I, I'm very satisfied with uh, the fact that you've told us a lot of really groovy stuff about yourself. Thank, Thank you. you. No. Thank you. And I, I love the, the conversation. Thanks. Well, that was completely cool and awesome. Thank you, Suzanne, for coming up to the apartment and and uh, having a chat with me sharing some of your life and uh and talking about the great work that you're doing uh well that's it that's the first show it's it's in the can as they say i'm very satisfied with the experience i hope you're satisfied with the experience and uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, show number two uh, guest to be announced Hey, have have a great day. Thanks again. Bye-bye. To find out more about Suzanne Barraza, visit her online at www.reelthing.us. I am Citizen 44.